So if you haven't picked up on it yet, we're talking about outreach. And perhaps for some of us, when we think of outreach, we think of what we just saw on the video of, you know, that really tacky, maybe overly aggressive sharing Jesus thing, or perhaps that really, really tacky, cheesy one as well, where you're going to sing silly modern songs and make them about Jesus or something. Um, and maybe when we think about that, and we think about outreach, we think maybe, maybe not, maybe we don't want to do that. But what we're doing in this series called Organic Outreach is, is we're really trying to dive into what is it exactly that God is calling us to do as a community when it comes to sharing the good news? Like, what exactly does that look like. Um, and we're trying to get a little practical in this series as well. Last week, what Pastor Chuck did is he stood up here and he really laid out kind of a different way to think about outreach. It's not this crazy, aggressive, in-your-face, you know, pound-you-down or cheesy thing. It's, it's something else. It's something that's actually already built into you as a person. God created you to do outreach, um, and we want to unlock that good news um, naturally in some sense. You know, um, a year ago, I think it was about a year ago, um, Pastor Chuck and Pastor Brian and myself were sitting in Brian's office and we were dreaming and scheming about new sermon series, which is something that we do um, a lot. And we were sitting there and at one point somebody said something about, what about stories? What if we did something with stories? And to be clear, the stories that we were talking about were, were stories of people coming to faith through TFRC. Like what if we did a whole series sharing all of those awesome stories? Um, and then the three of us had this realization. You know, at TFRC, we do a ton of things well, but people coming to faith in this place is not one that particularly we've done well in the past. And, and we don't have as many stories, I think, as, as what God wants us to in this place of people coming to faith, either through what happens on a Sunday here or on a Wednesday here or some other day, or, or perhaps even individually in our individual lives, stories of people coming to faith in Jesus. And then one of us, and this is classic of our meetings, we get a little excited once in a while. One of us, um, like, I don't know if we stood up or something, I don't remember who it was, but said, you know what? I want more stories here. I want more stories and all of us in the room are like, absolutely, we do. We want to be a church that's marked by story after story after story of people coming to faith through what we're up to here at TFRC. Amen? It's something that we want. Perhaps it's something you do as well. That one day, you know, what would happen if one day TFRC, you showed up here like on a Sunday to worship and you could look around the room and you could see all the people that have come to know Jesus through this place and you could see it all and we were filled as a church like that. It would be really meaningful, I think. Um, so it's something that, that we talked about a year ago and it's like, you know, we need to do organic outreach. I think it's the best way to do this. We want stories. God wants us to be a church filled with stories. Let's get after it. Let's do it. Organic outreach is probably the best way to do so. Now, to be honest... It's not just that we want to be a church that's filled with stories. It's that the Magic Valley needs us to be a church that's filled with stories. Uh, the Pew Research Center, that's a research organization, we use them a lot up here. Um, they have a study of religion in Idaho. And that what they looked at is they looked at the religious composition of Idaho. Like, who's here? What do people believe or not believe in Idaho? And I just want to share some of those stats with you a second. Um, according to the survey, about 48% of people in Idaho would self-identify as Christian. 
48%, less than half of the people in Idaho. Um, around 19% would identify themselves as like a Latter-day Saint or something in that vein. Uh, 4% would identify as a non-Christian religion, so like Islam or Buddhist or whatever it may be, another religion. And then there's this other really big number, um, 27%. 27% of the people surveyed, at least in the survey, um, in Idaho, self-identify either as an atheist, an agnostic, or they would say, I'm nothing in particular at all. I'm a nun. I, I, I don't really have a religious preference at all. And, and if you start doing the math, this is what you get. And perhaps, perhaps the survey isn't reflective of the Magic Valley that well. I'm going to guess it's probably more reflective than we're, than we're willing to admit. Over half of the people living in the Magic Valley, if this is right, over half do not know the good news of the biblical Jesus. Over half. That means that half the people, roughly, that we come into contact each and every day in our grocery stores and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and all the places that make up our lives, half of the people that we're rubbing shoulders with don't know Jesus. Half. You know, and Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, it's the Great Commission. It's the thing, you know, we, we, we kind of, yes, this is our thing. This is our, this is our standard right here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go into all nations. But if we're honest, we don't need to go that far these days to make disciples of all nations. We actually might just need to go right next door to our neighbor's house. Half. Half. This is why organic outreach is actually vital. It's vital for who we are as a, as a church it's vital for what happens outside of this church and the people outside of this church. People need to hear Jesus. And, and if we're not going to say it and share the good news, well then who's going to? Who's going to? That's why organic outreach matters. So we want to unpack this. We'll unpack this a little bit more this morning as well. Um, before we do that, I'd like to get to our scripture reading. Um, our scripture this morning is 1 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 12. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we actually have them in the back of the room. You can go ahead, get, get up now and grab one if you would like to. 1 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 12. And um, Bob Beauregard will be coming on up to read scripture for us. Bob, you can head on up. One of the things we like to do is we stand and we face the center of the room as the scriptures are read. You know, the reason we do this is because what we're saying when we do this is we actually believe that the Bible matters. But it's a big deal. It's something that we should even perhaps give reverence to. So, Bob, when you're ready, uh, take it away. Hear the word of the Lord. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked 
night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Thanks, Bob. You may be seated. So our scripture reading this morning was written by the Apostle Paul. And, and the Apostle Paul, if you, if you don't know who he was, he was really the first evangelist of the church. He was the first outreach guy, in some sense, of the church. And what's incredible is just how effective the Apostle Paul was at outreach. He was a machine, in some sense. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul would travel around kind of the whole like, like European area and Middle Eastern area, and he would preach to thousands and thousands of people as he would go in all of these towns, and he'd spend years sometimes in these towns that he would preach the gospel at, and he would reach tens of thousands of people. And then what would happen is he'd reach all these people, and then these people, he would kind of gather them together and say, hey, you need to do this thing called church now. You need to be a church. And so these churches were forming as Paul was kind of running around preaching the gospel. And then these churches started to take on the personality of Paul. And then these churches would be going out into their communities and preaching the good news themselves as well. And suddenly you had tens and tens and tens of thousands of people coming to faith. And it all was Paul who was the root cause of it, preaching the gospel with his whole life. You know, there are many people um, who we might think of as great teachers and sages of, of outreach, right, of evangelism, of sharing the good news. And there's people like Billy Graham. Some of us love Billy Graham, and he was a great man. Um, old school, there was like D.L. Moody. There was George Whitefield. These are like kind of some heroes of the faith in some sense. And then there's some more contemporary people that are amazing at sharing the gospel. You have like Rick Warren, right, the purpose-driven life guy. And, and you have Francis Chan, who is just on fire for Jesus and on fire for people to meet Jesus and to turn their lives over to Jesus. And none of them can shake a stick at Paul, I don't think. The Apostle Paul succeeds all of them. He was the first and I would argue the most effective evangelist in the history of the church. And so when he writes on outreach, I think it means we probably should listen. So our scripture reading this morning was from 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians is the city of Thessalonica. He was writing to the church in Thessalonica. And what Paul does is he would write, he'd admonish the church and encourage the church and perhaps correct a couple things that the church was doing wrong perhaps along the way. But what he did differently in 1 Thessalonians is he actually took a pause and then he let us glimpse into his outreach strategy that he had. And I love this. I think it's fascinating. And of course, what Paul does when he kind of shares or teaching about something like that, he does so through metaphor. He does that all the time. And in this case, he gives us three metaphors to consider. And I think we need to this morning pay close attention to those three metaphors. Now, if you have your Bible, if you want to reopen to 1 Thessalonians 2, I want to show you these metaphors. I think they're great. Uh, the first one is in verse 6 of our scripture reading. Um, and then the first half of verse 7. Listen to this. Paul says, We were not looking for 
uh, praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. And then the first half of verse 7, listen, here's the metaphor. Instead, we were like young children among you. We are like young children among you. Somehow, the, the experience of being a child um, relates to Paul's strategy of doing um, outreach. And then there's this other metaphor he uses as well. It's um, the second half of verses 7 and then verses 8. Listen to this. And, and the metaphor comes right away. He says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, there's the metaphor, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as, well, somehow, being a mom, there's something about that that looks a lot like doing outreach. I think that's really interesting. Now, if you kind of fast forward a little bit to verses um, 10 or uh, 11 and 12, you'll see the third metaphor in this passage. That's what it says. For you know that we dealt with each of you as, here's the metaphor, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Somehow, uh, if you're a dad, somehow being a dad, you have a skill set as a dad that really lends itself to outreach in some way. It's really interesting. And so Paul uses these three images to explain his strategy to reaching out with the good news of the gospel of Jesus um, to all people. And, and the metaphors are all around uh, the nuclear family. They're around kids and, and moms and dads. You know, most of us carry at least one of these titles. Kids, moms, and dads. And, and that means, if Paul's right, that means that implicitly, somehow in you, you carry something that lends itself to outreach simply by understanding what it's like to be a kid or a mom or a dad. Now, I want to unpack these images a, a little further, these metaphors that Paul has. And I want to start with kids. Paul says outreach looks like childhood in some way. Now, I think to understand what Paul is saying... We have to understand something about kids. Now, parents, you know this about kids. Perhaps grandparents do as well. Um, as a parent, you assume that your kids know a lot more than they actually know. I don't know if you've noticed this. You do, like, like brushing your teeth. You would assume that a kid would kind of figure that out. My kids don't, like they really struggle with this. Um, kids, you would assume that kids would understand how to dress themselves properly. Uh, most times, they struggle there just a little bit. Um, you would assume that kids would know how to eat without half of the food making it on their face first. Like, you would assume that, but, but kids just don't know for some reason. L let me share an example with you. I've got two boys and then a younger daughter. And the two boys, um, years ago, they got tall enough to where they got to do something incredible in their eyes. They got to go into a public restroom and they got to go use the big boy's urinal. And this was a big deal. They were pumped about this. I remember it was winter and so we were at the store and then we walked inside. They had their winter coats on and all that stuff and they walk in, they've got to go to the bathroom and they say, hey dad, um, 
do you think we could use the urinal this time? This is going to be awesome. You know, they're really pumped about it. I'm sure, yeah, of course, you can use the urinal. And so they go to use the urinal, and, you know, first they got to get comfortable, so they gotta, they, they've got to take their jackets off. And so they unzip their jackets kind of in unison. They take them off, and then they take their jackets, and you can tell they're not sure what to do with this jacket because the urinal's right there, and they have this jacket in their hands. So they do the wise thing. They take the jacket, then they set it under the urinal on the floor. And then as a dad, you're like, do I burn these coats? I'm not sure what you do with these now. It gets better. Don't worry. And so jackets on the filthy floor, the gooey floor, whatever that is, sitting there. And then the kids, you know, they step up to the urinal, really excited. And then, now, ladies, you probably don't know this, but this is an inside scoop on men's bathrooms. So a urinal has, like, this little ledge on the urinal, like, right at the, the, the front end, closest to you. And my kids, I think they didn't understand, but my boys thought that the ledge was, like, like a place to rest your hands when you go to the bathroom. This is a true story. Now, you can't burn your kids' hands off, so I don't know what you do at that point. So we gave them away. We don't have them anymore. They're gone. <laughs> just kidding. But it's a great example. Kids just don't understand some really basic things about the world. They just don't. They don't get it. And because kids don't know some basic things about the world, they find themselves in a kind of a powerless dynamic where they really don't have any power or control in their lives. And they find themselves dependent on others for help often. And usually that's mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. And what's interesting is if you see kids and the dynamic that they have when they speak to each other, it's different from a dynamic between adults. When kids speak to each other, they both, I think, just assume that they don't know anything and the other one doesn't know anything and they're okay with that and they just kind of just hang out together and that's what it is. It's a powerlessness. And there's this dynamic that Paul, I think, is trying to address here. This dynamic of powerlessness versus being powerful. I think. You know, kids almost always assume that they are not the expert in anything in their lives, that they need a lot of help in their lives, that they have little control over just about anything in their lives. And because of that, there's this inherent humility that kids carry with them. They know that they're dependent in their lives. And then something happens, and then we grow up and we become adults, and like a switch, something happens, and we, and we transform in some way. And so then your wife goes to Ikea, right? And then she buys that massive box with a picture on it of like a shelf, and it's just a bunch of wood boards and planks. And then you open that baby up because she asks you to build it, right? And then you look at the directions, and you're like, Dude, I've got this. I don't need these. Toss. And then you throw them aside, and then you build this thing, and the whole thing falls apart. It's terrible, and you're really frustrated, and then your wife comes in and fixes it all for you. Maybe that's just the Austin household. I don't know. It could be. But we do that because uh, we're, we're powerful. We're in the know. We're experts. We know how to do things. You see, what Paul's getting at is that when it comes to outreach, to sharing our faith, powerlessness is almost always the preferred method. You know, when Paul would speak the good news to people, he didn't do so as this expert and authority. He did so, well, with no power. He did so like a child. No authority. No pushiness. 
He didn't need to be the expert that had all the answers. You know, and when I think of outreach, and I, I know a lot of us that hear the word evangelism, they're like, whoa, back off. That's a little intense for me. But I think the problem is we have this great fear because if we're going to go and share our faith with people, people are going to ask us questions, and then we're terrified because I'm not going to know the answers. I'm not an expert in the Bible or Christianity. I just simply don't know. And Paul says, you don't need to. You don't need to know. You can say, I don't know. You just share your experience. You approach the situation like you're not the expert, like you have no power. You know, do you ever talk about your faith with others? Ever? Is that a thing that you do or we do? Not as an authority, like where you're out like doing evangelism, you know, stomping pavement, whatever. No, no, not like that but simply sharing your faith experience with people. Because what Paul says is that's pretty much what you got to do. That's it. You just share your experience of faith. And it actually is really effective with people. Now, Paul has a second metaphor he uses. He says that outreach, yes, it looks like childhood. He says outreach also looks like motherhood as well. And what he means by that, I think, is the incredible empathy and altruisms that moms have toward their kids. I mean, moms, moms will often give just about anything to their kids, even at their own cost, just to care for them. They will do that because they love their kids. And Paul actually uses the word love here, and the, and the Greek word of love here is the word agape. Perhaps you've heard that before. It's, it's this selfless love, this sacrificial love that moms have for their kids. They do it not with any selfishness at all. They just want to take care of their kids. It's all in their kids' interest. I mean, have you ever seen um, a mom nursing her child? That's what, the, that's what the passage talks about, a mom nursing her child. I mean, there is nothing, in my opinion, more giving than something like that image, where the baby can give nothing in return. It's just mom because mom loves the child and mom's going to give anything for that child. I think it's this selflessness that Paul is referring to when he uses motherhood as, as a metaphor for his outreach strategy. There's this tension in outreach between being self-serving and being self-giving. Our motivation for outreach, well, it actually matters. And our motivation for Reaching out to others in the name of Jesus, it actually can't be about us. It's not about us at all. It's about the other person. It's always about this deep concern and care for the other in some sense. You know, um, I don't know if you're a big YouTuber, but you can go on YouTube and there are endless amounts of these videos from these Christians. They call themselves evangelists. And what they do is they go around while they're driving in their car or walking, whatever they're doing, and, and they go and they argue with like atheists or they argue with someone from, you know, a different religion or something like that. And then they post it on YouTube and they, they title it, hey, watch me take down an atheist, right? I'm going to take him down, pound him, you know, into submission. Paul's like, no, 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 no. That's not at all what we're talking about here. You're not pounding anyone down in the name of Jesus. That's not what it looks like. That's not what outreach looks like at all. It's about giving of yourself to another, even at your own expense. That's what outreach actually should look like. It's about caring for other people. 
It's about agape love, about putting others' needs before our own needs, a deep care and concern for the other person we are speaking with, and a willingness to give to those people anything they need, all in the name of Jesus. That's what Paul says is an effective outreach strategy. Are you currently giving any part of yourself to someone who needs to meet Jesus? Are you? Are you giving of yourself? Are you sacrificing yourself for another person right now? Honestly, guys, it's not that hard to do. You don't have to argue with some tenets of the faith. You just got to give it yourself. Paul says that is an incredibly effective uh, outreach strategy. And then Paul uses a third metaphor. He says outreach looks like childhood and motherhood. Outreach also looks like, well, it looks like fatherhood as well. And what Paul is getting at is this dynamic that dads have with their kids, right? Dads have this unique dynamic with their kids. Dads, yes, they love their kids, but their love for their kids prompts them to want to see their kids be better and to achieve and to do well in life. And they are willing to hand or hold their kids' hand and walk with them forward into this bright new future. And they're going to say, you can do this. You can do this. You can run faster. You can work harder. You can love harder. You can do all this. We just want you to do That's a dad thing, right? I was talking to someone after the first service and they said, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when I'm hanging out with my kids and say my kid touches the stove, like mom will run up and say, oh, my poor baby. And dad's like, now you learned your lesson for next time, right? That's a dad thing. I love that. And outreach, outreach often has this tension between mentorship and then this one conversion moment, right? You know, often when we think about outreach, we think of getting people to this moment where they accept Jesus into their life and then we're like, boom, we nailed it, walk away, crushed it. We're good Christians now, right? But Paul says, no, you're not. No, no, no. It looks like a dad with his kids. You're a mentor. You're not looking just for the moment. You're in this thing for the long haul where you're going to invest in this person, where you're a little bit further down the road and you're going to invest in this person and prompt them and say, you can do this. You can run the race. You can be better. You can build a good character. You can go do this. You can have a faith like mine, like a dad would with the kids. In some sense, it's why I think Paul spent so much time, if you read the scriptures, um, in each destiny. He would spend years in some cities mentoring people urging them forward to grow into their faith. You know, the question is, is there anyone in your life right now that you are investing in that needs to meet Jesus? Anyone at all? Is there anyone where you're investing in them and you're being like that dad figure, that mentor? You can do this. Look what I've done. If you just go here, just look. It may work for you. Is there anyone where you have that long-term commitment to them. You're going to mentor them into the faith. Frankly, that's not that hard to do either. It just takes some time and some effort. So Paul says outreach is like childhood and motherhood and fatherhood. And these are great metaphors, I think, because there's something about the family dynamic with these three metaphors, with kids and moms and dads. There's this thing that drives them, that drives moms and kids and, and dads. There, there's this thing that pushes them forward to kind of fulfill this role as mom and, and, and kid and dad. You see, the Bible says there's actually a source 
for our desire to do outreach. There's a source for it. There's this thing that pushes us forward, like just like a kid and a mom and a dad, that, kiss, that, that pushes them forward into family. There's something that pushes us forward into outreach. And the Bible says one word about this. It says the biblical fuel for outreach is love. It's love. You know, when we think of Paul's three metaphors, kids and moms and dads, the only way they actually make sense is with the dynamic of love, pushing them onward and forward. You know, a child will act the way they act among their peers and with their family only because that child loves their family. You know, a mom will, will give unconditionally to their child only, only because that mom actually loves that child. A dad will spend all the effort mentoring their, her, his kid forward on into life and kind of pushing them on into a great new future. Well, that dad will only do that because dad loves his child. Outreach is actually an outpouring of our love. You know, if you have your Bible, um, turn to 1 John 4, 7 through 12. It's a famous passage, but it's so relevant here, I think. This is what it says in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. You ready for this? This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Frankly, I think, you know, if you're living your life and you're like, man, outreach is not a priority at all, I would ask the question of love then. Is love driving you in your relationships with people that don't know Jesus at all? Is it deep care and affection for that person and wanting them to do well and to grow and to meet Jesus? If it's not love, then nothing's going to happen. You know, there's other people that they, we like really love evangelism, right? We love to share the good news and we love to pound it into people. Well, that's not driven by love either. Paul's saying, no, no, no it's, it's love. It's love that drives us forward. It's love that makes us make those sacrifices that a mom makes or that mentorship that a dad makes or that humility that a child has. You know, there's this uh, person um, who lived through World War II and he ended up in a concentration camp. And while he was there, this person like just experienced um, a whole new reality. And this person became a writer after they were actually able to escape and got, get out of the concentration camp. You probably know this person. His name is Eli Weissel. Perhaps some of you have heard that name before. He's great. Um, and Eli Weissel ended up in a concentration camp. He escaped, and then he started writing. And he wrote all these books. And this is like the most quotable person I think I've ever met in my life. But he has this great quote. Maybe you've heard it before. This is what he says about love. He says, The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. It's indifference. He keeps going. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifferent. You know, 
Are our lives filled with a love of neighbor right now? Are they? It's a tough question. Or are our lives filled with indifference of neighbor? We really just don't care all that much. You know, are our hearts today hurting because we know someone that's far from the Lord and they desperately need good news? Do you have someone like that in your life? Or we just feel indifferent or apathetic or we just plain don't care? You know, if I'm honest, I spend a lot more time being indifferent than loving. I do. I think it's something about the way that humans are wired or something like that. Maybe that's true for you too. You know, there's um, a fuel for outreach. It's love. Um, there's also a fuel for love that fuels outreach. There's, there's another fuel that starts way, way further back. There's a fuel for love and the fuel is the gospel. It's the good news. The passage we just read in 1 John and right in the middle of it, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, if, if we're not really feeling all that full of love of people, it's perhaps because we've forgotten how God loved us first. Perhaps it is. Perhaps we've forgotten the story of the cross, of a God who so loved the world that was willing to give his only son for the world and that son was going to die a horrible death on the cross all because God loves you. And when you get that, well, then we'll start loving others. You know, it's like that new Christian. I love new Christians. They're a little intense, but I love them because they just want to share the good news with everybody because they finally tasted the good news for themselves. Have we forgotten the good news? Are we loving our neighbor? Is that why we're not doing outreach? You know, one of the things we wanted to do in this series is we wanted to get started. Well, let's start doing some outreach, right? And it doesn't need to be this crazy, you know, pavement stomping, like knocking on doors and, and then sending out like million dollar bills with Jesus' face on them, right? It's not that. It's, it's something else. And so what we did is we put together this little um, cardstock right here. And in this cardstock, you can take it, you can put it in your car, you can put it on your mirror in your bathroom, um, you can put it in your workplace, wherever it is where you can be reminded. And it gives you some really practical tips on how to do some outreach that doesn't, you know, seem scary in some sense. The kind that just seems normal. It's who we are as moms and dads and kids. And one side of it says principles. Pastor Chuck will hit the other side next week as well. And the first principle that it is, is apply the law of love and grace. What more can I do to show my neighbor Christ's love. What if we were just a little bit more intentional? What if we tried that this week? The second is pay attention to the Holy Spirit. It's the belief that the Holy Spirit is constantly bringing people into our lives, constantly bringing people into our lives. And we have an opportunity in each one of those moments. Are we paying attention to the Spirit? What if we were a little more intentional in trying to pay attention to the Spirit? The third is practice what you preach. If you really believe in the good news, does your life resemble that? Or not really? What does that mean? And last is take a personal assessment, perhaps the most practical on this side of this sheet. Take a personal assessment. On a scale of 1 to 10, 
How often do you make the most out of outreach opportunities? How often? And if you're a one, what if next week you said, you know what, I'm a one today. Next week on a Sunday, I'm going to relook at this and I'm going to be a two. And maybe you're, maybe you're higher than that. You're a five and you're like, you know, next week I want to try to get to six. What if you challenged yourself practically in those ways? People outside this church desperately need to hear good news. And if we're not going to do it, then who is? It's our calling. So on the way out, take one of these cards and give it a try. Bump up from a one to a two this week in your intentionality for outreach. Amen? Let's pray. God, I just, um, I thank you for this moment in our church. God, I thank you that you have sculpted us and you have guided us and you've brought, it to this, brought us to this place, God. God, we pray that you send us, send your spirit upon each of us and embolden us to go out into this big wild world to preach the gospel. And God, give us tact and wisdom just to share our experience of you and what you've meant to us. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we have um, experienced it for ourselves and it has transformed us, God. And we just pray that it continues to be contagious and it goes on and it changes others as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe it was God's providence, but this week I came across this great quote that I think would be a fitting blessing. It's from St. Teresa of Avila from the 1500s. Listen to this. She says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion is to look out to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which God is to bless people now. Amen? Go in peace.